Amen. Well, today we return to the book of Matthew. And now that Christmas and New Year's are behind us, so are the topical teachings. We are now returning to our systematic teachings of going through the Bible. And so we find ourselves now in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to share this with you. We're only going to be going over four verses today from verses 14 through 17. But I want to share this, that we are in a very interesting portion of, of Scripture. One that can easily be misinterpreted or misunderstood. And as I was reading this, I myself was wondering what exactly the Lord wanted to communicate. And as I dug deep into the Scriptures... I knew that God wanted me to speak on one thing, a relationship with God versus a religion that is far from God. He wants us to know that he wants us to have a deep and meaningful and passionate, intimate relationship with him. And we know that there are so many religions out there. We know that. I mean, you can just, you know what, you see them everywhere. You see them walking on streets. You see them in different places. You see so many religions that are out there. And we know that a lot of these religions, understand this, they have good intentions. They have the intention of having people reach God. They have the intention of of bringing change into people. But I want to share this with you, that every religion that is out there, they place the emphasis on man, on how man can reach God, on the rules that are made by man to reach him. I want you to understand this, is that God wants a relationship with you, and God wants you to allow him to reach down and to build that relationship with us. You know, as we think about who we are as a people, understand this, is that You and I are an imperfect people. And imperfect people can never reach a perfect God by their own standards, by their own rules, by the things that they set. See, because imperfect people make imperfect rules. And that's what we are. We are imperfect. And we are so messed up that we try to reach God in our own plans, in our own ways. But you can never reach a perfect God. It will never happen. And this is why the perfect God that we have, He had to come down to an imperfect people. Understand this. God had to come down to an imperfect people and to show us how we are to reach Him. You know, He came down to reveal His goodness. He came down to reveal how perfect He is. He came down to reveal His righteousness, His holiness. He came down because He wanted to touch us. See, God says in His Word, And Jesus told us this, right? We covered this a few months ago. That He came for the sick. Understand this. God came for the sick. God came for the sinner. God did not come for those that think they're righteous. And for us, we acknowledge that we're sick. We acknowledge that we're sinners. And when we acknowledge this, we know that God came for us. Those that say they're perfect, those that say they're good, those that say they're righteous, God didn't come for them because they think that they are right. They think that they are perfect. But in reality, they're not. And this is what the Scripture reveals to us. What's so amazing is that the Scripture tells us both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we are sinners. It spells it out plain and simple. Let me share to you 
Let me share it to you from the Old Testament. In Isaiah 64 verse 6. It says, but we are, an, we are like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our inequities like the wind have taken us away. When we look at the New Testament. The same thing is in the New Testament. It points to how we are as sinners. Look at Romans 3 verse 10. As it begins there, it says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So when we look at the Old Testament, and when we look at the New Testament, It reveals that we are unclean. It reveals that we are unrighteous. It reveals that we are not good. And it also tells us that the righteousness that we think we possess in the eyes of the Lord and according to God, they are as filthy rags. Imagine that. I mean, how plain and simple is that? That you know what? If you think you have righteousness in God's eyes and according to God, they are filthy rags. Imagine. I mean, you know, this is just, this is God. These are the words of God. This is what God is telling us. And so, if we are true to ourselves, right, we can all come alongside God and say, you know what, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. You're right. I am sick. And why do I say this? Examine the thoughts that you have. Look at the thoughts that you have. We have some pretty sick thoughts if we're honest with each other, right? And if if we really acknowledge these, right? We have some sick thoughts. Look at it this way. What do you do behind closed doors? When no one is looking. When you think you're by yourself. Think about this. See, this is what God wants to bring to us. This is what He wants to bring to our attention. That we can all agree with God that we are unrighteous and there's none that are good at all. And this is why He sent His Son. Understand this. He sent His Son for this very reason. To show us, to teach us, and to impute upon us righteousness. Jesus shows us righteousness. Jesus teaches us righteousness. Jesus walks in righteousness. And Jesus imputes righteousness upon us. We cannot earn righteousness by what we do. But there's only one way to receive this righteousness that I'm talking about. And it is by faith alone. Faith alone is what brings this righteousness to us. And faith in who? We're talking about faith in the Son of God. And when you place your faith in Him, understand this, there is a supernatural miracle that immediately takes place. When you finally say to yourself, you know what, I am coming to a place of placing my faith in Jesus Christ, and I am believing in who He is, the fact that He is the Son of God, the fact that He is God who came in the flesh, the fact that He died and rose from the dead, I believe in this, in who He is. I believe in Him. You know what happens? A supernatural miracle happen, it happens. You immediately become righteous. Not that you're not going to sin anymore because we know that we sin. But you will be righteous in the eyes of God. And you will be righteous because He declares you not guilty 
of the sins that you do. Because of your faith. That's the only reason. Your faith in His Son. See, and what happens here, according to the Scriptures, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, For He made Him who knew no sin. Imagine this. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The one that was free of sin. Understand this. He became sin for us. Every single sin that you ever committed. Every evil thought that ever went through your mind. Every evil word that you ever spoke. Understand this. He took those sins upon Himself on that cross. And when He took it upon that cross... That's why he knew that. That's why it was so hard for him to go to the cross. Even though he willfully went in obedience to the Father. But he knew that when he took upon those sins upon himself. That he would be separated from the Father. Because he had the sin of man upon him. And this is what it says here. It says that he became sin who knew no sin for us. And it goes on to say that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We become the righteousness of God. This is what God, how God views us now. God views us righteous. Even though we're sinned, but the penalty has been paid. This is the work of the cross. This is what's so awesome about it. This is why when Jesus Christ was on the cross, He says, it is finished. The work is done. The work is complete. I paid the price for the sins of the world. And as we meditate on this, I want to ask you, as we talked about religion and religious people seeking to reach God with the do's and the don'ts, are we doing any religious things to reach God? Okay? Let's meditate on that, right? Let me repeat this for you. Are we doing any religious things to reach God? Okay? What holy hobbies, as my wife introduced me to this term, what holy hobbies are we doing to earn our righteousness? And let me explain that because I want you to understand this term, holy hobbies. When we look at hobbies, what are hobbies? Hobbies are an activity that is done regularly, right? When we look at holy, what, what good things, what righteous things are we doing? Things that God has asked us to do. Okay, as a routine. Something that we do, right, on a regular basis. I want to give you a further examples of this. Because I think when I, when I give you the examples, it's going to hit home exactly as to whether we're doing holy hobbies or whether we're in a deep and intimate relationship with the Lord. The first example is prayer. It's your prayer life, right? It's a, it's a good thing. God wants us to pray, right? He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to have communication with Him. Are our prayers just a routine of repetition? Okay? Are we just repeating the same things over and over to God? You know, sometimes I think that we establish our prayer life, even though God says, I don't want vain repetitions, but sometimes it just becomes repetitive. 
I know I've been there many times and I, and I have to continue to check myself when it just becomes a, a prayer life of repetition. See, what God wants from us is He wants deep conversations with Him. He wants us to, you know what, to be passionate about, you know what, you know what, Lord, I can't go on unless I pray, unless I talk to you. I want to have these conversations with you. I want to have deep conversations with you. I want to express my heart to you. I want to ask you to do things, right? And, and yes, I am persistent. That's why I repeat certain things, because you ask me to repeat certain things. But I don't want it just to be a repetitious prayer. I don't want that. And I don't think any of us want that. And believe me, God doesn't want that from you. What about our daily devotionals? Okay? Are we just reading the Word of God? Just to read it. Okay, you know what? God says, I'm a Christian, right? I got to read my word every day. I'm going to read a few verses. Boom, boom. I read them. Okay, God, I'm done. Or maybe reading a chapter, right? You know what? I got to get a chapter. You know what? I started chapters. I said I was going to do chapters beginning of the year and I'm going to complete it. So I'm just reading a chapter and yet you're not taking in what God wants you to hear. This can be a holy hobby. This could be an activity that we just do on a daily basis. Without really saying, you know what, Lord? When I read, I want it to be alive. I want you to speak to me with power. I want you to speak to me and reveal to me what it is that you want to show me today. See, when we read the Word of God, we should have the mindset that the Word of God is alive. And whatever it says, whatever it's going to speak to us on, that is God's voice speaking to us right at the very moment. When you begin to have that mentality, when you begin to have that mindset that God is going to speak to you, He will. Or is it a holy hobby? Let me share this one with you. What about coming to church, right? This is a good thing. God wants us to come to church, right? All of you are here at church. But do you come? With a heart that is open to hear from God? Are you coming here today to say, you know what, Lord? I want to hear from you. I can't wait to go to church on Sunday because, or on midweek because I know that you're going to speak to me. Something you're going to say is going to catch my attention. Something that, you have, that you're going to say is going to pierce my heart, my inner core, and it's going to just transform me. I'm waiting to hear from you. You know what's sad about church? About people that come to church? People come to church and some of them, you know what they do? Is they take this out. And they start looking at Facebook at church. And they start reading their emails at church. And they start texting at church. That's a holy hobby. You're just here just to sit on the bench. You're not here to meet God. You're not here to hear from God. It becomes a holy hobby. This is now religion that you're in. This is no longer a relationship with Jesus Christ. It now becomes religion. And the Lord doesn't want that. What about giving? What about tithing? When we tithe. Do we tithe because you know what? God's going to bless me. God's going to multiply that tithing. Or we do it because we worship God. We know that He's given us all the money. And I'm just giving giving Him back a portion of what He's given me. The same thing with fasting. Why am I fasting? Why do I fast? Is it just to fast? Or is it because I have a deep need and desire 
to know God. I'm in a situation right now where I need God to move. Or do I just fast on a daily, on a, every week or whatever the case may be? Just being a ritual. Just being a, a routine. Are we in a religion? Or are we in a relationship? I'm going to ask you, have you lost your passion for God? Have you lost your zeal for God? Do we want to develop a real, intimate, personal relationship with the true and living God based on love, based on a passion for Him, based on a heart that beats for God? Do we want this? I believe that we do, but there's a part of us that doesn't. There's a part of us that we need to put to death, the part that was crucified on that cross. We can't let this man live, this woman live. See, when we look at this portion of Scripture that we're going to be in, I want to share this with you. God wants to reach the core of your heart, of your inner heart, to expose whether you are in a religion or whether you actually have a true relationship with God. This is what this message is about. This is what God is going to reveal to you today. Am I in a religion or am I in a relationship with the true and the living God? See, God, I want you to know this, and I want to share it with you, because I don't want to keep anything from you. God does not love religion. God hates religion. He doesn't want anything to do with religion, because religion is always a barrier to people reaching God. Because God came and He reached down to us, and He wants us to develop a relationship with Him. He wants us to have an intimate relationship, one that is based on love, one that is based on passion, one that is based on a zeal to do what God Wants us to do. See, God came down to touch you and to bless you, to transform you, to love on you, to pour out His grace and mercy upon you and to show His goodness. He came to show you who He is so that you can establish a relationship with Him. He says, I don't want you to have an invisible God. I want you to know who I am. And so He came down and He revealed to us who He is. You know, it's amazing to know that God would come down to show us, to reveal Himself to us, so that we knew exactly who He is. This is the love of God, to leave the throne room of God where He is praised and worshipped and honored on a daily basis. Imagine that. To leave all of that, to come down to reveal Himself to us. And to die for our sins. There is no greater love than that. And that's what we celebrate today as we're going to partake of communion. But I want to share this with you. For 2016, are we going to be as a church, as a body of believers, are we going to come into this year desiring to develop a deeper relationship with God? Is this going to be your commitment to God beginning here in January? A commitment to say, you know what, I want a deeper relationship with you. I want to know you like I never knew you before. I'm going to purpose in my heart to do what I can to come into your very presence. To know you like I never knew you before. To grow in your word like I never grew before. 
Because I want to know you intimately. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want what I've had in the past. Where I maybe have made my walk into a religion versus a relationship with you. I don't want that anymore. I want a relationship. As we're going to read, let's read. Beginning in verse 14 through verse 17. And let's see what God has to say. It says here in verse 14, Matthew chapter 9. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For that patch pulls away from the garment. And the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled. And the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into, wine, into new wineskins. And both are preserved. You know, as we read this portion of scripture, in the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke, they both give us the same account. Very similar. There's, there's very few, very minimal disparities. They are almost the same. And so what, we don't have to go through the other ones. We're just going to stay here in Matthew. And we're just going to read this account because they're very similar. So we don't have to review and, and expound on the others. And so here, let's go back to verse 14 and let's read it. It says here, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? The disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees. Okay? The disciples of John the Baptist put themselves in the same category as the Pharisees. And as it says there, they asked Jesus a question. They asked Jesus a question. And they asked him a question about fasting. Okay? And when we look at the word fasting, what is fasting? It comes from the Greek word, nasetuo. And what this means, it means to abstain from food. So they're asking Jesus, you know what? Why are we and the Pharisees fasting, abstaining from food? voluntarily withholding fruit from the body for a period of time. But yet your disciples, Jesus, are not fasting. Okay? Why is this happening? I'm going to ask, I'm going to bring something to your attention here. When you look at who's asking the questions, did you see it's the disciples of John? The disciples of John the Baptist are asking this question. And what's so sad about this is that they're putting themselves in the same category as the Pharisees. This is what's so sad about this is that they're putting themselves in the same category as the Pharisees. And look at what their leader thought of the Pharisees, these religious people. Look at what, the, what John the Baptist said of them. Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 7 says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, in, coming to his baptism, 
This is John the Baptist. He said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These are strong words from John the Baptist right towards the Pharisees and the religious people. But now you see the disciples of John who was, who was always pointing his disciples to the coming Messiah. He was always pointing them to God. And yet these disciples of John the Baptist are now putting themselves in the same category as religious people. What happened to them? They were supposed to have a relationship with God, but now it's turned into what? Religion. Now it's turned into, you know what? We fast often. Remember, remember John himself said, I must decrease and he must increase. But yet you see them now. They're, they're now in a holy hobby, right? Of fasting often. And why? You know, what happened here? Why did they come to a place of, of fasting often? Most of the Jews were fasting often, right? But not the disciples of Jesus. Not Christians at this time. But I want to share with you, the others were fasting often. You know what happened to John the Baptist? See, John the Baptist was thrown in prison. And unfortunately, we see here some that weren't listening to John. Because John says, hey, you know what? There's the Messiah. There's the Son of the living God. He is Jesus. He is the promised one. But yet they didn't follow Him. And we know that we have some that didn't follow Jesus as well as in the book of Acts. We see others that weren't following Jesus. They hadn't even heard of Jesus, right? You know, as we look at this, you know what? John at this time, I want you to know, according to Matthew chapter 4 verse 12, it tells us that John the Baptist had been imprisoned. So their leader was no longer there to lead. He was in prison. He was in prison because he publicly condemned King Herod's sister-in-law and Herod for living together. In other words, Herod's brother's wife moved in with King Herod. And so what happened there is that John the Baptist says, hey, you know what? You're committing adultery. What are you doing? And he condemned their, you know, their, their, their act. He condemned the fact that they were living together now. He publicly did this. And because of this, they threw him into prison. But you see how his disciples, right? His disciples. They were doing fasting often. They were doing fasting Weekly. I want to share this with you about fasting. We talked about fasting back in Matthew chapter 6. And I mentioned to you how the Jews, they were fasting twice a week. 
Here it says they were fasting often. So we know that, that as we look at the Jewish history books, it shows that they were fasting twice a week. See, because fasting became part of their routine. Fasting became part of their routine. When, Jesus, when, when, when you look at the Old Testament, there was only a set time when they were supposed to fast. God says, I want you guys all to fast on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, which happened in September. This is when everyone, you know, when they sacrificed an animal for the sins of the year past, of, of, of the past, of, of the past year. And he told them, I want you to fast on that day. That was Leviticus 16, verse 29 and 31. But as we see here, all of a sudden they turn fasting into a daily routine. See how they make these holy things that God has asked us to do into a holy hobby. Which can easily happen to any of us. Saying, you know what, I'm going to go to church, I'm just going to be there, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to expect God to speak to me. I'm going to, you know what, pull out my phone and I'm going to start looking at Facebook and start reading my emails. I'm going to just pray and you know what, and and, and just pray and say, you know what, God bless me today and just walk out. Or I'm going to read the word and just say, you know what, I'm just going to read because I, I promise I would read it every day, but not really get anything from it. It just becomes a holy hobby. Just like the disciples of John. And we know that the Pharisees were filled with religion. They had a legalistic way of, of living. But when we look at, at fasting, because see, I want you to sort of see how, how these Pharisees, when it comes to the Pharisees, how, how they were fasting. See, because it was no longer about, you know what, a deep need for God in their lives as they fasted and they emptied themselves out and asked God to come and intervene and to show himself powerfully they it wasn't about that anymore you know what it was about it was about being seen by others just like when we come to church right we want to be seen by others we want to appear to be holy but yet we're all messed up think of this when we go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says this, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You know, when we look at the Pharisees, this is what they were doing. They wanted to be seen by other men. They turned this holy act of fasting into a holy hobby. But they wanted people to see them. And so when they would fast, they would give a sad look, right? But we know with a sad look, it really doesn't, you know, people would just say, oh, they're sad. But when we read here in verse 16, it also says that they disfigured their face. They wanted people to see that they were fasting. So they looked sad, but then they would also go like this. So people would ask them, why are you like that? I'm fasting. I'm doing the holy hobby. See, these holy hobbies, may we not get into that. God doesn't want us to have holy hobbies. 
God wants us to have a thriving, passionate relationship with Him. See, He wants us to be praying with with a, with a, you know, with a joy to come into His very presence because the Word of God tells us that when we come, we come right into His throne room. Do you picture yourself going into the throne room of God when you're praying? We should. When you read the Word of God, His Word, of God, His Word says that it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do we come to read the Word of God and to say, you know what, your Word is alive. Look at it. Am I picturing? Am I imagining? Am I just picturing and, and, and putting everything in my very eyes, in my mindset, as I read the Word of God, as we say there, you know what, the disciples of John came to Him. Are we seeing the disciples of John truly coming to Him? Are we visualizing the Word of God that it is alive? And the fact that God is going to speak to you. Are we doing this? Are we saying, you know what? When I read, when I read this morning, when I read Ezekiel, it reminded me of Israel, of the nation of Israel, how disobedient they were and how God just punished them. I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want to be punished by God. I want to be obedient. Are we allowing the Word of God to speak to us? To remind us of what God has in store for us? Is it alive? Is it speaking to you directly? Into the inner hearts? Into your inner core? Into your inner being? Are we allowing the Word of God to do that? You get so excited about talking to certain people. Do we get excited about God talking to us? Coming to church. Putting away the phones with an expectancy that God is going to speak, that God has a specific word for us. This routine is religion, understand. It's religion. Are we becoming a religious people? Or are we a people in a relationship with the true and the living God? When you look at the question that the disciples of John asked. Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? You know what they're basically asking Jesus? Why is your religion different than ours? That's what they're doing. Because they were in a religion. They were not in a relationship. They're asking Jesus, why is our religion different than yours? Let me ask you. Do we have this type of religion that the disciples of John had? See, as a church, let us not turn. Let us not turn what God has asked us to do into a religious ceremony. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, I mean, I'm sorry, the book of Revelation. And you look at the church that Paul planted in, the, in, in Ephesus. Uh, you know what? This city was so dark, so, so evil, right? There was just so much sin that was going on. There was, you know what? There was just the worship of the goddess, Diana. And there was sexual immorality everywhere. And yet, Paul planted a thriving, growing church that was passionate and loved God. And a few years later... It tells us that they left their first love. They left their first love. Are we leaving our first love? Are we excited about Jesus Christ as we were when we first surrendered our lives to Him? 
Are we excited about Jesus as, as we once were when we first began to know Him and understand Him and, 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 to, and, to, and, and just to have that relationship when it was just so wonderful and so good? Have we forgot that? Are we walking away from it? You know what? Jesus gives them a response as we go back to verse 15. It says there, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I love the response that Jesus gives. See, because this is, this is where I believe. This is why I know that Jesus is talking about relationship here. See, Jesus brings up the fact that he has friends. Jesus himself says, there's friends of the bridegroom. Jesus wants us to be his friend. Jesus wants a relationship with us as friends. Let me give you an example here. You know, we all are relational people, right? We all love to have friends. Everybody here like to have, likes to have friends, right? Raise a hand. Nobody likes to have friends. We all like to have friends, right? Imagine this. Imagine if you met somebody, right, and, and you really wanted to befriend them, and you really, you know what, there was something about them that you were knitted together with them, and you knew that, you know what, I want to be their friend. And you go up to them and say, yeah, you know what, and you start establishing, you start talking to them and so forth, and then they say, oh, before we go any further, here's a list for you of what I require to be my friend. The do's and the don'ts. That's what happens when we come into a relation into a, a religion with Jesus Christ. He doesn't want, he never established do's and don'ts. He says, I want you to have an intimate personal relationship with me, one that is based out of love, and because it's based out of love, you will do as I say. We're not going to have to work at it. We're going to be passionate to pray. We're going to be passionate to read the Word of God. We're going to be passionate to come on Sundays, to come on Wednesdays. We're going to be passionate about the Lord. And that's what He wants. He wants us to have a passion for Him. He doesn't want us to get get tired and to have our relationship become a routine. Friendships are never built on this. Friendships are always relationships. Jesus says, he says, you know what? Right now, my friends are with me, right? They have me physically here. There's no need to fast. There's no need to fast because I'm with them. But when I'm taken out in my crucifixion and my ascension, I will be gone and then they will fast. Jesus was saying, you know what? You should be joy. They're they're, they're joyous. There's no need to fast. You guys fast because you don't know God. You don't know that I'm here. You don't know that God is visible before your very eyes. You don't want to acknowledge this. He says the bridegroom is present with you. How many of us have ever gone to a wedding and mourned at a wedding? We're mourning and crying. I don't think we go to weddings to do that unless you don't love the bride or bridegroom for the person, right? You're like, oh no, why are they marrying them? Lord... But usually everybody goes there to have a good time, right? We're there to, it's a joyous occasion. It's an awesome occasion. The same thing with funerals. 
Funerals, it's appropriate to mourn, right? The person has passed on, he's gone away. That's when you mourn. That's what Jesus is talking about. Most funerals, you're not going to go and they're not going to have music and dancing and festivities, right? It doesn't happen that way. That's the time for mourning because you know that someone is absent from you for some time. For us as Christians, we know we're going to meet them again, but it's still our heart hurts. Our heart mourns. See, what Jesus was trying to say to them, you know what, guys? You're asking why these guys aren't fasting? Why my disciples don't fast the way you fast and the way the Pharisees fast? It's because you have fasting all wrong. You have religion and it's all wrong. When we were in chapter 6 of Matthew, we talked about religion for some time. For those of you that remember, we talked about how the religious activities about giving alms, about fasting and praying, how they were doing it all for the wrong motives. They were no longer doing things for the right reasons. See, you give out of a heart of love. You know that God has given you everything. He's blessed you with everything. And so you only give Him back a portion because it's, it's a heart of worship. And if we love God, we're going to give to God. We're going to give Him a back of all that He's given us. We do it out of love. We do it out of worship. But yet there's people that don't want to give. There's people that don't want to worship Him the way He, is desire, the way he desires to be worshipped. You know, when we look about our, at our praying, you know what, how is our prayer life? You know, we talked about fasting as we see here. Jesus says, you know what? You will fast for the right reasons. You guys aren't fasting for the right reasons. But when you fast, you fast because there's a mourning, because there's a need, because there's sadness. See, fasting is a response to something that has happened in and around our lives that has brought mourning, that has brought sorrow, that has brought regret. A few months back, I gave you reasons to fast. And I believe it's essential for us as we're talking about fasting to know biblically what are some of the reasons why we fast. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list of these. So for those of you that are note takers, I'll try to say them slow. But if you want to know why you fast or why you should fast, I'm going to give you biblically those times that you are called to fast. The first reason is when there is an overwhelming fear. Okay? An overwhelming fear. The Assyrians were about to enter into the land of Israel. And we know one thing about the Assyrians. They would come fast and they would come just in, in, in such speed and they would just conquer. And so when this happened... This is what the Lord said to his people, the people of Israel. He says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So in Joel 2.12, he's telling us there that, you know what? When you have an overwhelming fear like the people of Israel did when the Assyrians were going to conquer them, that's when you fast. Overwhelming fear will cause you to fast and you should fast. This is what the Bible says. 
Now, reason number two that you fast is for revelation. You want revelation, right? You want to hear from God. You want God to reveal things to you. Remember, Dan was, uh, Dan, Daniel was given a vision of the 70 weeks. And Daniel's like, what are 70 weeks? You gave me a vision of this. You gave me a dream about the 70 weeks. What is this? And so Daniel fasted. And look at what he says here. He says, Daniel 9 verse 3 says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he fasted because he wanted revelation. He wanted to know what God was talking to him about. He wanted these things to be revealed to him. The third reason why we fast is when you feel condemned. Okay, as Christians, when we feel condemned. And condemnation, this is a ploy of the enemy. He loves to make you feel condemned. There's many people here, I'll share this with you, that even though their walk is right with God, the enemy still condemns them. And they feel unsaved, unworthy. And so you're called to fast for that. Look at what it says about this. In Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See, Nineveh was condemned. Nineveh was going to be wiped out. They were going to be destroyed. God told them, unless you guys repent, you will be destroyed. And so this is what Jonah shares. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. They fasted as they felt condemned. And guess what? They turned and the Lord saved. The Lord did not wipe them out. Another reason why we fast, and this may not apply to many of you, but you fast when there is a selection of leadership. Okay? The Bible tells us that you fast when there is a selection of leadership. When we choose leaders, when we know that God has, that there is a need, and that God is wanting to raise up leaders to meet that need, the Bible tells us that we're to fast. Acts 13 verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who, called, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, they have fa- then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So as you can see, they were fasting because there was leadership that was needed. And so they fasted for that. Another reason why we fast, and this will be applying to, my, to all of us, is when there is mourning. Okay? When you have mourning, you are called to fast. When there is mourning, there is a deep sorrow within your life, within you. We are called to, more, uh, to, to fast. Look at what it says in Second Samuel 1 verse 12. It says, And they mourned 
and wept. Imagine that they were mourning and weeping. There was a deep sorrow. And they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son. For the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. There was a death. And so they were mourning to be comforted. To take away the mourning that they were experiencing this deep sorrow. Another reason why we fast is because we humble ourselves before the Lord. You fast for humility. Okay? You fast for humility. Look at what David says here in Psalm 35 verse 13. He says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. He humbled himself with fasting. It's a sign of humility when you fast because you know that it is God that you want to increase in you. You want to decrease. You want God to move powerfully. And so you humble yourself with fasting. And another reason is for spiritual strength and power. You fast for spiritual strength and power. Remember Jesus fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights when Satan came to test him in Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. When Satan came and tempted him and was testing him. But look at this one and this is where I truly believe why we fast for these things. For this strength and this power that comes from God himself. Mark 9.29 said, says this. So Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but fasting and prayer. It only comes out through prayer and fasting. See, we need the power of God. We need the strength of God. And this is the only way to get it when we fast. And then the final reason I'm going to share this is for direction. If you need direction in something, if you need God to guide you in a certain area, in a certain direction, we fast. Remember Abraham's servant? He would not eat until it was confirmed the bride of Isaac, Rebekah. And this is all in Genesis 24. See, when we look at this, understand this, is that there are these times that we're going to fast. We're going to go through a time of sorrow. We're going to go through a time of mourning. We're going to go through a time of need. We're going to go through a time of revelation, of direction. We're going to go through a time of choosing leadership. We're going to go through a time when we need His power and His strength. And this is the time to fast. But these guys, they had it all wrong. It only became a holy hobby. They were now in religion. They were not in relationship. And let's keep reading these last two. Because God wants to illustrate this truth to us with two parables. He says there in verse 16, it says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Do we have any seamstresses here, or any people that sew and knit? Show of hands. few of you? There's a few of you that does this. Would you ever put, if you had a hole in that garment, and it's a garment that's already been washed and used, and there's a hole on it, are you ever going to put a new garment on the old garment? One that's never been washed, one that's never been shrunken. You wouldn't put a new garment on an old garment. You know why? Because when you wash it, guess what that new garment does? It shrinks. And it's going to pull the stitching from the old garment and it's going to make it worse. Okay? Just meditate on that visual. 
The second one he says here, verse 17, it says, Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus is showing us, because at this time what they would do is they had these, these leathern bottles. Okay, these are, these are like bottles. It's not an actual glass bottle. They're like bottles that were made from goatskin. Okay? And at the end, they had stitching around it. Okay? And when the wine is in there, understand this. After it's been in there for some time, the leathern bottle is going to have cracks. The stitching is going to come off. And so what Jesus is saying, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Because it's already cracked. The, the stitching is coming off. And so what's going to happen is it's all going to spill. Everything's going to be ruined. And the reason why Jesus gave these two parables, because He wanted them to know that your religion does not fit in a relationship with God. What happens is, is that His truth does not fit in a legalistic system. His teachings do not fit in religion. Understand that. See, Jesus wants us to know that if you want a relationship with me, this is what I came to show you. I came to show you that you need to build a relationship with the true and living God and you see Him here before your very eyes. Build a relationship with me. Your teachings, your legalistic system, your fasting, your praying, all of the things that you're doing, it's all based on the do's and don'ts in reaching God. And it doesn't fit with a relationship with me. What you guys are doing is you are doing holy hobbies. And hobbies get you nowhere. Hobbies do not build a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hobbies do not build a relationship with God. Hobbies do not come to an understanding of who God is. Hobbies will never reach God. Where are we? What are we doing? Do we have holy hobbies? Are we trying to reach God with our holy hobbies? Or do we want a relationship with God? Do you want a relationship with God? I think we do. But what's happened to many of us, just like the disciples of John, it becomes a ritual. And we lose that fervor. We lose that passion. We lose that zeal for God. They are no different than what happens to Christians. And as I shared with you, God does not want religion. God wants you to have a thriving, intimate, personal religion. I mean, relationship with Him. That's what He wants. And that's why He came. And this is what He's asking of us. He's asking you to have a relationship with Him. Come 2016, this new year, are you going to make a decision to say, you know what, yes, I want to make 
I want to have a relationship. I'm going to purpose in my heart now to develop a relationship with you like I've never had before. 2016 is going to be like no other year that I've had. It's going to be new. It's going to be a new beginning. It's going to be a new relationship. One that is based on love. A love and a passion for you, God, to serve you wholeheartedly. Not like I have before, half-heartedly. I want to serve you wholeheartedly. I want to give my life to you, Lord. I want to experience you. I want to know your goodness. I want to have your blessings. I want to have all that you have for me. And I want to walk in your will. And it comes through a relationship. It doesn't come through religion. Let us stop religion. As Christians, we cannot return to religion. Many of us came out of the religion. And yet we're so blinded as we see ourselves going back into it. I'm going to give you now an opportunity. I want everyone's eyes to close. I want everyone's head to bow. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to confess this, to say, yes, Lord, I made religion out of my relationship with you and I don't want it anymore. Or maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, the true and the living God, and you want to do this now. If this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Amen. 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 If you are in a religion, God doesn't want that. He rejects religion. He hates religion. And He wants relationship. For 2016, are you going to purpose in your heart to do this? If you are, raise your hand and we will pray for you. We're going to do this quickly because I know one thing is that the Lord loves humility and he works through humility. Everyone that raised your hand, I want you to stand up and we're going to say a simple, quick prayer. Stand up. Lord, you see all these people that are standing. And we stand because we know that we want a relationship with you. We don't want religion. We don't want to be praying just to pray. We don't want to read just to read. We don't want to come to church just to come to church. We want to come to church. We want to read. We want to pray. We want to do the things that you're calling us to do because we love you and we're passionate about you. As you raise your hand, repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I want relationship. I want to be your friend. I want us to have a deeper relationship than ever before. And I purpose in my heart today to do this very thing. It is going to be a part of who I am because I can't live without you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love. And Holy Spirit, I need your power. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The men are going to be passing out communion. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if things aren't right with your relationship, don't partake of communion. God says, don't partake of this in an unworthy manner. If you made things right with God, this is when we take communion. 
There is a place where I can go to be with you. This is a place where I just go to worship you. I join thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. We encircle your throne with a loud voice. We now sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy. Thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand We encircle your throne With a loud voice we now sing Worthy is the Lamb Worthy is the Lamb Worthy is the Lamb
you know, as we enter into this new year, I'm looking forward to what God has for us. He's going to do a mighty, powerful work in and through each and every one of us as a body. It is going to be amazing. You're going to see the miracles of God that are going to unfold because He's coming soon. He is coming soon. And He desires that none should perish. And so He's going to move in and through us in this city because He came to die for the sins of La Puente. He came to die for the sins of this city and the surrounding cities. And he says, I don't want you ever to forget this until I return. How many more communions are we going to have? There may not be many more. Only God knows. But we know that he's coming. And as we partake of communion, you know, we're reminded of just the amazing love that God has for us. God has an amazing love that he was willing to die for us, to take our penalty, to take the pain. Because He loves you. He took upon the stripes from the cat of nine tails. He had holes in Him, on His hands, on His feet, on His side. And it all pointed to His love. So as we take of this bread, as we look at the stripes and we look at the holes, we're reminded of how they point to love. The bread of life that came to give us life. Let us take it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. A covenant that is built on faith in Him. It is an amazing covenant, an amazing promise to know that, you know what, that if we place our faith in the Son of God, we will live forevermore. We will not taste death, spiritual death. You won't taste it at all, but you will live. And then we're going to put on these amazing bodies. These glorified bodies that are going to be able to live forever and ever and no longer have pain. Amazing promises. And it doesn't stop there. I need to share one more with you. The fact that we're going to rule with Christ. Imagine that. Some of us are going to be assigned to be rulers of people and cities. In the new millennial kingdom, we're going to be police officers. We're going to be people that are ruling over others in the name of Christ and for His glory and for His honor to make sure that holiness and righteousness is done. And we get that because He paid the price for our sins on the cross. Imagine that. No greater love than a man has than to shed his life 
to give his life for his friends. Let us take. You know, as 2016 has begun, this is our first service in 2016. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad. And let us just have this new zeal and this new fervor for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Let's all stand.